Hello all you cats, dogs, and other friends in the animal kingdom. This is Pat Brennan, welcoming you to episode 4 of Beyond Believers, the definitive Elvis Costello fan podcast. Today we're going to be discussing side A of this year's model, Elvis Costello's second album. And this is a pretty lively one, as my guest today is a true super fan. Amongst the things we're going to talk about during our chat is growing up on Elvis Costello, the undeniable relatability and emotional truth of the songs on this album, how great the attractions are, writing a song about misogyny versus writing a misogynistic song, that's right, Alma, the arrogance of your 20s, cheekiness, ranting wigs, and we reveal the origins of and secret meaning of Pump It Up. So who is this awesome guest that I have today? Why, it's M.R. Morrison, of course. For those of you who don't know, M.R. Morrison is a Harrisburg, PA-based poet and visual artist who draws inspiration from land and lineage. Her work explores the boundaries of self and spirit, playfully mingling intuition and craft. They love old fashions, good yoga, big family, and long novels, which she reads alongside her fiance and cat. So get ready, friends, for a really lively and exciting discussion. Here we go. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoy it, feel it. And if you feel it, enjoy it. Today we're going to be covering this year's model, Elvis Costello's second album, the second one to come out in less than a year, 44 years almost to the day. And with me to discuss it is a good, close, personal friend and fantastic artist, uh, M.R. Morrison. Welcome to Beyond Believers. <laughs> I am so beyond excited to be here. Fantastic. Fantastic. Wonderful to hear that. And very exciting. Finally, like have an excuse to do a genuine deep dive conversation with you as we have so many times in so many social situations. <laughs> But there's been other people around and Mm -hmm. out of respect for them and their time (laughs) and their encroaching boredom, I've uh, I've tried to keep it in check, but they're not here. And it's just us and everybody who loves Elvis Costello. So this is our chance to deep dive here. And I am so excited for that. I asked you to do this because I happened to hear you on a podcast. Is that about like three or four years ago when you talked about Tragic Kingdom? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, what was that podcast called? I'm, I'm uh, that to... cover to cover by um, the interviewer producer, also really wonderful musician himself, is Matt Tarka. Um, and I actually did a second episode with him uh, about Patty Smith horses, which is oh, another. Oh my goodness! I have to check <laughs> out the horses mine. one. It, it's a fantastic podcast. I listened to a bunch of different ones. As a fantastic podcast, and once I had heard that, I was like, okay, if I ever do a podcast, I gotta get, I gotta get Megan. And then I mentioned that I wanted to do an Elvis Costello podcast. And it was like, oh my gosh, even further, like this is meant to be so. Well, I remember you made a post that was like, it was like something cute and cheeky. Like, are you as big of an Elvis Costello fan as I am? And I was like, yes, actually. And then your follow-up post was, I don't think so. And I was like, oh, I think so. <laughs> I yeah. was throwing down the gauntlet out there. You've told me a little bit about your your history and fandom with EC. Why don't you you share it with, with our listeners? 
Elvis Costello has been a part of my life since before I remember. I grew up on him. My, I mean, my father was the one that introduced me to him. My father is the biggest Elvis Costello fan I know. And it was impossible for his lyrics and his music and his energy to not seep into my childhood, every aspect of it. And, we, and my father introduced me to a lot of music. And then so because he's my dad's favorite and because of these kind of like weird similarities and associations of personas and when I was introduced to him, Elvis Costello is this weird pseudo alter ego of my father as well. Care um, to elaborate on that? Yeah. So like, I don't know, when you're a kid, you find a when you're young, when your mind is young, you find these associations and you like, in some ways, Elvis Costello is my dad's doppelganger. Not that they mm -hmm. necessarily look alike, but in persona and energy and just witty turn of phrase and being really, really passionate about the field that they're in. That's one of the things I love about Elvis Costello as, as, as a person and an artist is he's just, I remember reading an article one time or, or probably just hearing my dad say this, Let's just say that throughout most of this, I'll be like, oh, this article I read, I probably heard this from my dad. So he's my, <laughs> he's my authority on everything Elvis. Because he was so passionate about him. He, he talked about him. He listened to his music, but he talked about him too. My dad's a, a, a storyteller. Oh, Elvis Costello You're talking about the doppelganger. Yeah. yeah, he's a doppelganger. But also the thing I love about Elvis Costello as an artist and right. a person is he's so passionate about. So this article, um, <laughs> mm -hmm. in quotes air quotes yeah kind of it was some it was a quote from Elvis and he was he's not a big reader and it's because there's so much music to listen to and you can tell he's such a fan of music like yeah loves musicians there's for somebody um, who's so associated with words you know yeah. he's and his lyrics are such a thing that grabs people immediately it's he's so he's such a fan yeah, he, and it's it's so steeped in that. And I also think that, and we'll get into this more with the album, but he really, he surrounded himself with musicians he really admired, whose strengths really allowed him the space for his strengths to shine. And also too, I think Elvis Costello is actually like a pretty awesome musician himself that kind of gets lost. Sure. I had lunch with my dad today to buff up a little bit. Oh, great. Be like, dad. Is there anything I need to mention so that you'll be proud of we me? We gotta get we gotta get you and dad on honestly for a later episode. That would be that, great. I think I think we could talk him into it. I don't know if either of us would get a word in edgewise though. <laughs> but there was a Roy Orbison like tribute. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think it's called the Black and White Knight. I think you're right. I haven't I haven't seen it. But like he, he talks about it in his, yeah, he talks, it's a big, it was a big deal to him. He talks about it at great length in his memoir. Okay. All right. Yeah. And so he, and you see the footage of it and he's just, he's just like in the back strumming along, just like enjoying all of the musicians that he's working with and being there. And I think that was something that was really also really evident on Spectacle, which was that awesome show that he did. But for me, Elvis Costello is, I, I was joking my with my dad today. I'm like, Elvis Costello is like the Bible. Like these yeah. are the lyrics I grew up on. And my dad's really fascinated with lyrics. So I think that's why he likes him so much. One of the reasons he, uh, he likes him so much, no one can match Elvis Costello for turn of phrase, like, holy moly. And I would say for myself as a, as a poet, Elvis Costello is where a lot of my influence comes from. Re-listening to this album, I, I noticed some tendencies in the way that he writes that I can kind of see in my own work. 
And I'm not like saying I'm Elvis Costello, like I'm not comparing myself, but I can feel unconsciously, I realize I now see I, influences he's had for me as a writer. You know, I mean, if you're, if you're going to be influenced by anybody, be influenced by the best. Yeah. It's very interesting. You were talking about turns of phrase and things like that. And, and just like the influence of sheer language and especially when an artist like that is so connected with like a parental figure, somebody who's such a huge influence on you as a person, it's inevitable that those, that becomes such a part of you as well. And and I totally get the doppelganger thing because growing up as somebody who, you know, being a kid with ADD and being on the spectrum, I always felt misunderstood. And so what I really concentrated on was like building knowledge and building up language so that I could articulate myself exactly and so precisely that I would not be misunderstood, which of course often leads you to be overly articulate and therefore even more misunderstood. (laughs) But what I loved about Costello was that there was that precision of language and there's wit. And I'm a big believer that if you... You know, I don't I don't even think you need to be creatively inclined. If you absorb things like that, you inevitably gain and start to evolve your own turns of phrase and your own language and your own way of being yourself. Because it's that kind of classic thing where they talk about like any the creation of any style of music, it's always imitating something that came before it and failed to do that. And in that process of failure, birthed its own kind of thing. So Again, I don't think I'm Elvis Costello, but he definitely helped develop a deep, like caring about words and that words truly matter and what you say matters and to be very careful with with how you you say what you say. So in that way, he was kind of a quasi doppelganger of sorts for me. So his his stuff, Joan Baez said something about Bob Dylan where she was like, either he goes in really deep or he doesn't go in at all. Like it's either mm-hmm. like it just doesn't mm-hmm. it just doesn't resonate for you or if it does, it goes all the way in. And I I feel that way about like some of the the best artists that I love, whether it's yeah. writers, novelists, filmmakers, musicians, songwriters, any one of those things. It's like it's either like burst through like skin, flesh, bone, muscle <laughs> and goes straight to like the heart or to the brain or it just kind of doesn't. And for me, he's he goes in all the way. So. I think uh, I think you're you're kind of ideal to discuss this this seminal album. So this year's model, second album of his, and I would say he more than soundly, you know, defeats the whole second album syndrome that you encounter so many times with so many groups. Yeah, he talks about in his memoir and in the liner notes to the reissues of his albums. He basically had like songs coming out so quickly that he could barely keep keep up with them Mm -hmm. and that this album is no exception like this period in particular I mean he puts out I think five albums in three years and all of them are easily like top 10 of any anything that's coming out at that time and that's an incredible time for music I mean it really is it's Mm -hmm. he comes along right at the height of punk and Mm -hmm. so much of I was talking with Aaron Braddis, my my co-host for My Aim is True, about how so much of that album is like somebody on the outside looking in and thinking about like, there's so much of like, what's going to happen out in the big world and everything like that. And this one is just like thick of it. And he's everything like, this is, is what's happening. Yeah. And everything is swirling by. And he's like, I'm catching all of it. As, and I'm, I'm going as fast as I can. And 
I have a lot to say about all of it. I think I was listening to it today and the sound of the album really stuck out for me. It's a much more claustrophobic album than My Aim is True. Mm-hmm. It's also kind of the first album of his that feels really like produced. Yeah. You know, My Aim is True was recorded over the course of 11 hours, like three sessions yeah. of 11 hours. He said that like that album is it's just guys in a room playing like they just set up the mics and record it. This album is the first album of his really. You could say watching the detectives is the first song, but the first album of his Mm -hmm. that's actually produced. He's sort of proven himself with my aim is true that he's worth the time and effort to have a whopping 11 days in the studio to cut. Now instead of 11 hours, he has 11 days to, uh, to record this album. And and he's also working with, the attractions absolutely for the first time so he's he's able to with their musical muscle behind him he's able to really lean into the performance of of his lyrics which is where so much of the power is I mean like he as a front man like Mm -hmm. yes like that is all the energy I, I I want in that I just fantastic I was watching like videos of him today which isn't something I I've done a lot of like I'm most of my experience with Elvis Costello is is auditory is just listening to his music and also like listening to his music on burn seed gonna talk about the form with which we listen to things right so like you know but on CDs so we had like the album art for some things but I, I didn't always have track listings. So it's like your experience of an album is different when you don't have those visual cues, for, at least for me, especially as a, as a very visual person. I don't know, there's just something so magic about music that- There really is. There, it really kind of is the full package because there, there is such a kind of like aw shucks nature to My Aim Is True and how mm. it's like with a debut album, it, it, there's such a like, hey, look at me, mm-hmm. like factor. There's like, I you, you want to blow them out of the water and you also want to charm them. And there's so much like charm on My Aim is True, almost gently welcoming. And this is very much like- Well, and he's like also like coming at us with this like Buddy Holly persona, but with Elvis, yep. Elvis, which is, you know, a, a reference that was a, that was a direct choice, choosing oh, yeah. that as his stage name. I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know if, you've, if your listeners have already talked, heard about this, but that was, you know, that was an, a, a choice and it was, it was before Elvis passed away. Elvis passed away. And of course he has Elvis's king on the, on the cover. His persona, right? Which was very much because he was, he was kind of put out as punk with that. Yeah. Because I think his topics were, and he was aware of that though. I don't, I don't think it's real. That's, that's not yeah. quite right for Elvis. Like, yeah, there's influences there. And they were like, I like to think like working in tandem, but he's not really, he's not really punk. No, he's not. And this album is, there are so many deliberate decisions going on here that the kind of like, that that like punk doesn't lend itself to such a produced album. It's funny that you mentioned burnt CDs and MP3s. Cause like, <laughs> I didn't intend that to rhyme, but I guess it did. Okay. The The compression of sound on this album almost Mm -hmm. reminds me of that kind of fidelity degradation of an mp3 because i remember i was listening to the way like the hi-hat sounds 
like on the chorus of radio radio that mm-hmm. and it's like going in and out and you're just kind of like oh this is like this sounds like it's like a like a second or third generation or like compressed yeah. but it's like oh no that is exactly what yeah. he wanted to go for there's like you hear things like nick Lowe, who is the mm-hmm. a fantastic singer songwriter in his own right but mm-hmm. the producer on this album producer on like the first four or five albums yeah, and, and he came back and produced a later one, didn't he? He did. He came back and did Brutal Youth in the 90s, but they're kind of always they're they're kind of mates in tandem. He started out in bands in this in the 70s and like Costello was like a huge fan and would yeah. kind of like follow him around and like And ask, they toured together right before this album, right? They did. Yeah. So they're part of um they're on Stiff Records both at the time when okay. this album comes out and Stiff Records is Andrew and the Blockheads, it's Reckless Eric, it's Nick Lowe, mm-hmm. it, and Elvis Costello. There's this kind of competition between them all because they used to do a rotating headliner every night. Okay. And it was quickly, they did away with that idea because there's like, there's only two or three bands who can really hold it down. And eventually it came down to just Elvis Costello and the attractions are injury and the blockheads basically flipping mm. a coin and the rest of them are like, yeah, we'll open for you. But yeah, you were talking about talking about the attractions coming together on this band on this album and like, holy shit, <laughs> what power they bring to this album. Mm-hmm. They are such it's such light years ahead of whatever he of the band Clover, all respect to them that played on my aim is true that it, it's just it's not even a contest. So I guess we should probably get started and talk about it. Speaking of holy shit moments that grab you, you know. I don't want to kiss you. I don't want to touch. Track one, no action. And that those chords come in and they literally like blast everything else out of the track. Every time that comes in, it's like all the sound is just like it's blown away. And it's very, it's it's one of the most abrasive Mm-hmm. it almost sounds like at the beginning like a who song you've just got pete thomas is going crazy and you've got that that high pitched really harsh sounding like there's the like fox continental organ and all that coming in and and his lyrics are already going So instead of like openers, like, you know, welcome to the working week, which, you know, starts with like oohs and ahs and the harmonies. This is just like, like buckle up, like we're coming at you and you got, you're not going to be ready for this and you got to hold on. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, it's fantastic. And everybody just kind of goes. So everyone's going at like 11 already on it, which again is very punk, even though it's a song, like there's lines, you know, like, like talking about like a cupcake or something like i love this cupcake more than i love you that that's how bad things are it's so interesting it i think too though it's like when when it comes down to when you're really reading the lyrics or reading them because sometimes you can't keep up with them i love the oh yeah associations of like mishearing lyrics and then having that moment where you read it and you're like oh oh that's yeah i mean that makes 
more sense than what I was thinking. <laughs> mm-hmm. But exactly. his, his lyrics are it, his lyrics are, are relatable. <laughs> like yeah. I feel like I've had these experiences, and I he's there's a there's a quote about about this album and and how he wrote. Oh my gosh, what was it? I, I wrote it down because I was like, Good. yeah, I want to talk about this. I appreciate I have, the effort. I have notes. Well, I, there's a there's a quote earlier on, which is, I think what happened around the time of My Aim is True, but like, I'm not going to explain my lyrics to you. If they don't make sense, then I'm not doing my job. I'm not writing you a manifesto, Mm-mm. which I, I kind of appreciate. So he's, he said, the only two things that matter to me, the only motive, but yeah. I found it. Okay. Motivation points for me in writing it all all these songs are revenge and guilt. Yep. That kind of became are, his catchphrase. Revenge or guilt. And and I think that those are very relatable emotions. And I think that's one of the Absolutely. reasons. And it there's a there's a vulnerability in admitting those things. Yeah. That is is really interesting paired with this very like boisterous punk persona that he had. Mm-hmm. And that, and I think that's what's one of the things that's really tantalizing about about him as a as a frontman. I mean, so Absolutely. much more than that, but yeah. Well, I think it's it's twofold. One, it, it I, I three things come to mind when I hear the revenge and guilt quote, which he basically either like he talks about like he would either do like a press blackout or if he did in the future he would do it drinking alcohol to such quantities that he he in his words made it like much sharper and meaner and you read a lot of those early interviews and you're just like god damn mm-hmm. like this guy this guy's worse than Johnny Rotten like <laughs> in terms of in terms of like somebody to have to interview i feel like he's also taking notes from like mid 60s Dylan press conferences too where he's like how, you, how can I answer that question if you got the nerve to ask me it? You know, there's this <laughs> kind of thing. But Revenge and Guilt are all over this album, such a huge way. And then uh, um, thirdly, I just think it's like, it's it's just also a great way to to get out of having to answer a stupid press questions. And he kind of like that, that did follow me for a long time. He's like, I, I that I, you know, because I just hung on to that Revenge and Guilt thing. The fact that well, it's like 15 I, years later, people are like, so is this album about revenge and guilt again? It's just like, yeah. I wish I didn't Well, say and that. I think, I think he's, he's, he has a lot of instances of being reactive and like, it oh, yeah. has that feel right. And saying something <laughs> and then later on being like, okay, so uh, I might've, I might've, I might've misjudged that. But I think yeah. that in itself is a really beautiful, that it, to me is impressive is accountability and oh, yeah. pay my mind. Hey, hey, I, hey, I did say that, or I don't remember saying that, which is, did you see that episode? Of course you saw that episode of Spectacle with um, Bruce Springsteen and Bruce Springsteen like reads a, reads something very scathing that Elvis said early in his career. And yeah. Elvis is just like, did I say that? Did I? And Bruce is like, yeah, I've been waiting like 20 years to like bring this up to you kind oh, of yeah. thing. Yeah, but no, he, I do remember that. I think he's talking about Darkness on the Edge of Town because he notoriously, which was very much like Bruce's sort of response to punk in a way, yeah. at least getting like kind of edgier with his uh-huh. music in addition to everything he was going through. But yeah, to this day, I mean, there's a pitchfork thing from like two years ago. Costello is still like, that album sounds like like the drums are played on fucking tissue boxes. He's like, whoever, whoever produced that album made it sound like shit. And then he's like with Bruce, he's like, did I say that? I don't know if I did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I mean that—that that is him to a T. He does not—he does not hold back, and and yet he is also somebody who 
in so many ways, in so many situations, does hold himself accountable for the things that he says. I mean, you talked about how relatable all of this is. I got into this album probably, I was like 16 or 17. And mm-hmm. I mean, you hear a song like No Action, you totally relate to it, you know? And especially, I mean, simultaneously that thing where you're like, you're with somebody new, but but I'm not into you at all. Like, I'm over it. And, and I love the that, guy um... and the, the person you're with now, they suck. They suck. They're nowhere, you know, he's got the keys to the car. They're the keys to the kingdom. He's got everything you need. It's a shame that he didn't bring them. (laughs) And that that whole verse, then it ends with... Like, oh, we have all done that. And if you say you haven't, you're lying. Yeah, absolutely. I don't believe you've never done that. Nope. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Of course, I suppose that's a whole different scenario nowadays. I'm just like, wait, that's a generational thing because you can't call people. Well, I guess you can use, they know, they know you're calling, but there's not that, you know. Exactly. Oh, but yeah, I mean, every the thing where he's, it's also like, it, it's that push-pull thing, whereas every time I phone you, I just want to put you down. Put you down, yeah. You know, which again is so such a great line, but you're also just like, yeah, it's like, oh, I just want to put you down. It's like, yeah, well, you also, you also called them. So, yeah. you know, yeah. how, how, how committed are we to this? And it's I just, think shows one of those beautiful little ties of the way that he ties in language and is a poet, because I just want to put you down. there's also associations with putting a phone down like exactly right it's like the ah mm, yeah I just no like carnal noises like yes Elvis Costello Costello giving me making me make these uh these carnal noises but yeah I mean and I feel like the mute this is also like the time too where music and lyrics you know go so well whereas like I love that part. He always, it's always one of the best things in the Costello song where he has that long run of words. So like, uh, I'm not a telephone junkie. If I'm asserting my coin, I'm doing just fine. And the things in my head start hurting my mind. I think about the way things used to be. Knowing you're with him is driving me crazy. Like we've all been there. It's so like, it's funny because I've been writing something for a while that's set during high school and it's hard to sometimes get in touch with how intense emotions were back then. And yeah. I listen to no action and I'm like, I'm back. I'm yep. back. Mm-hmm. I'm, 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 uh, it's all right there. Yeah. And I just like, again, with the band too, it's going, they're going so fast that it's like, by the time the song ends, it's like, it's like Pete Thomas on drums. He's like, he's like animal. He just can't stop drumming. So the thing like, it's, it's like, it's, I can't like, I know the song's over, but I can't like, bother. it's great it's great and it's it it is such like everybody in this band is like the age ranges from like 19 to like 28 so it's all it's just these young people like just raging away and I feel like it's okay we've done we've done like the punk thing we can do it as well we can do it as we can play as fast as anybody we can go as hard like as anybody around in 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 this time period now we're like we're gonna 
we're going to show you what we can really do, which takes you to side two, this year's girl, which for me, this is like an all timer, like top 10 Costello song for me. I think it's like, Mm -hmm. it's one of the ones, I mean, I love the songs of his that are like the, like the hyper verbose, like, you know, hundred miles an hour firing off words and everything. But this one is just like, it's so, it's so distilled. It's so fantastic in terms of everything that's going on. It's um, it's also the first track I feel like in the album where, you know, Costello, if he is gonna borrow from somebody, he borrows big. And so you've got the drums from Ticket to Ride by the Beatles, the boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom, boom. This also, I feel like this whole album feels like you're listening to it inside one of Pete Thomas's Tom drums. <laughs> Like that compression and that whole, like Mm -hmm. everything is a little like distorted a little bit, like there's some plastic between you and it. (laughs) Um, And those drums are so loud and they're so just like thunderous. Uh, Niccolo said, he's like, I want all the drums to sound like one big maraca. You know, that was his kind of, and then the the engineer is just like, "Uh, okay, I'll try my best. (laughs) Like, I I love this one. This is also like, okay, like so many bands can play fast. Let's see if you can mm-hmm. play slow. Yeah. And it's just, it's so darn good. thoughts on this year's girl i i really i really i like it it's not in my top five of the album um okay all right but but i think it's it it shows this side of elvis where he's he's the observe it's he's the observer Mm -hmm. again but he's he's the mindful observer like he's aware that he's the observer absolutely if, if that makes sense and I, yeah, I know he's kind he, of inside and outside he, of it at the same time yeah like he's aware of his participation in the observation and what he's observing and and I think that's what artists do right we kind of like oh, yeah. we live with one foot on either side of of that always mm-hmm. I mean maybe sometimes we're able to step and be fully in one place but I I I I know I haven't mastered that. I think um, that in I also feel like that in between spot is where the interesting art gets made. Exactly, that's that's our sweet spot. But I think it I I th- I think it's the perfect follow up to no action. Like yeah, those are so seamlessly. I mean, he does that thing that the great second track does on an album, which is I'm paraphrasing High Fidelity. But he talks about how like the first track has got to like just grab your attention and maybe kick your ass and get you in. And track two is like need to keep you up, but the energy's got to be different and then and then kind of carry you along into it. Yeah. I mean, I love the it has like its bridge is like ridiculous.
yep. yep. I, and it was like, yep, no, no, that person may have been that person at one time or another. Yep. I mean, I think it's, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like there, but for the grace of God, go I. I could have, I could have <laughs> gone down there. Maybe I didn't. Um, maybe I did, but I got out, you know, thank God I did. But yeah, I mean, for me, I love this song because it is, it is, he is complicit in it. I just think it's a brilliant study of how men's, not just how men see women, but also how like men are introduced to women's sexuality and the allure of like the unreal of it and not being able to handle it when it is real. by the image you're 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 drawn into this picture of this person or to this woman in general but at the end of the you day want her broken it, with her mouth wide open exactly you're just like at the end of it it's just about you don't know what you're dealing with and it's just about you and your little erection and like it's just like that's you know and then and it, it's like it's like ah like i think that I feel like Elvis Costello generally views women as dangerous beings, <laughs> dangerous and confusing beings. I think I already said this to you once in text message. <laughs> I think you might have, but I'm glad you're saying it again to me now. I think it's interesting, though. I, you know, I think he takes them. Uh, I think he takes them very seriously. Oh yeah, yeah. And, well, you do you know- with any species you don't fully understand. <laughs> It's like, it's like the, the, the spider you find in the garden or the snake you find in the garden. You're like, I'm really interested, but maybe not everyone has that experience with wild animals that I do, but no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You're such a poet. And I'm so glad that I asked you to be a guest for this. And you know, you have your second verse, which is still They don't have to talk. They don't have to, you know, and it's just, yeah. Like there's not, there's not a lot of reward in being your sex object. Sorry. (laughs) Look at this like really beautiful vision. Like, and that's one, another thing I love about Elvis Costello. So I'm going to be saying this a lot. um, Yeah. (laughs) Is the pictures he paints, the visuals. I mean, like in this, with that, like that could be a comedic scene in Big Mouth. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. I mean, this is very much, these songs are written by a 22 year old. Yeah. And you know, this is a 22 year old from the generation like before ours or no two generations before ours. He's a baby boomer. It's very interesting that I feel like there's, 
you know, we've, we've, we've gone strides in terms of the maturity and, and the sexual revolution and everything that like, I feel like whatever he's experiencing at 21 is probably what most people went through our generation went through at like 17 or, or much yeah. younger. So mm-hmm. you're talking about Elvis Costello viewing women as, as dangerous, ob, you know, as, as dangerous objects. It's, this is, you know, again, this and a couple others, a few other songs on this album were really kind of what started probably the the first backlash to his mm-hmm. stuff, which is getting accused of being, you know, of of misogyny and sexism. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we we talked about on My Aim is True, how even some people went so far as to say, you know, on the chorus of Allison, I know this world is killing you. Or sometimes I wish that I could stop you from talking, that that's like a song about violence towards women which i i don't really see that at all and mm-hmm. i think it's i i was like i think you just because he's talking about a woman he says killing you think he's like i was just like i don't i think it i, I think it pokes at the eye because there's layers to his writing i think it pokes at sure. the idea of like wanting to show up at your ex's wedding and and end it all but like it's more it's more sorrowful than anything oh yeah it's mourning a loss of something like and and I think also too. I mean, I know some. I I've never had those thoughts about Elvis Costello. I remember when you approached me about this, and you were like, "This was one of the reasons you're like, I'd love to hear you talk on this." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, I guess that is a thing." I've never had those associations with his lyrics, and I I thought about that, and I was like, "Is that because I associate him so much with my father that like that is impossible because like of that weird like alter ego doppelganger yeah. thing." And like maybe in my in my own personal experience of it, but I think bottom line, I think a lot of that criticism is filtering stuff through a lens that didn't exist when the music was being written. Like he's a man. So his experience is gonna be male. Like and and that isn't inherently misogynistic, like in itself. Are some of those associations and maybe some of the way that things are presented feel that way? sometimes yeah it was a different time and I'm you know I'm not make, we don't make excuses but we also need to see the context of of the times that things were being created and written in absolutely I also just think that he's writing about the regretful state of the situation he's not condoning it in any way shape or form nor do I think presenting anything in art is necessarily condoning that it happens yeah, I I really I almost kind of take the the classic thing I always go to is like the social network argument. The social network for me is a movie ab- about like the nature of and almost like a study of of misogyny and mm-hmm. how how that manifests, how it starts as a breakup and turns into this mm-hmm. kind of the the telling thing that I feel like is the most like cautionary social media thing in that is the fact that he like writes about her bra size and puts it on the blog. And then those guys come in her doorway and they have a bra and they're like, is this yours? And Rooney Mara has this face that is like terrifying on her. And it's like, that's the internet. That's what it's going to do. Like, and that to me is like, that is not, that is not condoning anything about that but like that's that's what it is. And though I, so when I, I listen to this year's girl, I feel like, you know, 
the older it gets, you know, the the older, the farther away it is, the more it's the same. I mean, not not much has yeah. changed in terms of the content of this song and and or its relevancy, which is why I feel like yeah. it's a top ten song for me because it's yeah. just like, yeah, it's just okay. it it nails Fair. it. So that for that for me, yeah. I, I put it in, I put it in for that. It's so interesting because I I something I was watching recently was like kind of talking about him in regards of like the lineage of like nerdy rockers and like rock critics love Elvis Costello because they all look like Elvis Costello yeah yeah um and I was like "Mm, yeah no that is kind of my aesthetic I love I love a smart nerdy dude like (laughs) oh I mean again as a teenager it was like okay here's a model to follow you know, I can, I can, I don't have the glasses, but I can certainly be nerdy enough doing, doing my like trivia quiz bowl and shit like that. And, and listening to Elvis Costello by myself. All right. Enough about that. <laughs> Next track, The Beat. On the beat, on the beat, on the beat, This song I love. I feel like each on this year's girl, each member of the band has a moment to kind of shine, whether it's like Pete Thomas on drums takes us in. There's like the kind of fade out of this year's girl where, or like the beginning of it where Steve naive's doing like the, the keyboards that almost sound like sirens, like do, 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 do. Or it's like the fade out Mm. at the end where Bruce Thomas is doing like the kind of arpeggios on the bass that Uh just build this texture and it's interesting because the band was so in he uh Costello while listening to a lot of punk was also such a big he was a huge Bowie fan. So mm-hmm. like Station to Station, Low and Heroes are are so influenced, but it's like those albums on no budget whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to like build this like expansive sound, but also like compressed because we're doing this in the tiny room i feel like the beat is really one where it's like everybody comes together and everybody's killing it at the same time whether it's like the syncopation on the drums the of the bit of the keyboard and, and the bass and everything but for the life of me i cannot i cannot figure out what the hell this song is about it's <laughs> except maybe it's just about the beat man it's about the beat, the beat man it's just the beat just can't resist be- it I, it doesn't have to be about anything it's i don't know i keep thinking about, keep your, thinking mother. about your mother <laughs> well, I don't fair enough Yeah. You know, it's kind of almost like, you know what I guess it's about? Oh, but Cohen's coming on, coming into the, coming into the scene. He's coming in. He's coming in hot with his happy tail. Cohen's my, my pit bull puppy. He's quite lovely, um, but in desperately in need of attention. So I feel like maybe this song is kind of like, you know, the opening lines, like we're all going on a, on a summer holiday vigilantes coming out to follow me heard somebody say they're out to collar me anybody want to swallow me follow me me. yeah i mean yeah yeah covering our eyes in embarrassment it's interesting you know we 
it's almost it's like that line in super bad where he's just like you know where that girl's like oh i wish i didn't get drunk and have sex with that guy what a mistake we could be that mistake i feel like he's almost like you're like i want to just go out there do this yeah yeah let's go this dude's night out like let's go out let's fuck um well yeah because in the pre-course is what it takes two to tumble it takes two to tangle Yep. Speak up, don't mumble if you're in the combo. Yep. On the beat. <laughs> it's about on the, the beat. beat. You know, it's it's uh on our uh my aim is true episode, we we started to do like a a horny factor, like on a scale <laughs> of one to five, like how horny is this song? And it's like this no- is very, very horny. Like this is like you're about to go out with your with your nerd bros. And <laughs> we got and our like, pocket protectors. We yeah, got our, like our, our horn rimmed like, glasses. You got suspenders. Seventy like, shirt on, and yep. I'm definitely like aging my, myself here. I want to find a girl <laughs> who likes pavement. <laughs> Again, just like, but really relatable. But it has like yeah. a real, like authentic, like. Mm-hmm. like in, in enthusiasm for for that like I just again you talked about big emotions like it has it has that feeling to it it, it reminds me of those those first time you feel those things like yeah <sighs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. takes me back it's beautiful it really is it really in a, is in a really like youthful way like but i would you're turning me around on this song i i'm i'm all in on the beat now it's one that i'm like i'll be just singing it to myself like like uh, just walking around and it's one of those ones that'll pop into my head when i'm doing things like (laughs) yeah no absolutely oh my gosh i yeah i feel like it's have you been a good boy? Never Yeah. Yeah. I mean it is like I I I wanna go out there and I wanna I'm 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 fixing to be friendly. I'm I'm ready to mingle. And we'll kind of that. like yeah. yeah, go on. You oh, go just first. kind of like diving headlong into it. And it's interesting because he talks about how some of the songs he wrote were like, I'm writing these songs as like cautionary tales for like what I'm going to do. And then of course he proceeds to ignore his own advice, yep. go out, but have it, a, have affairs, be incredibly unfaithful and ruin his marriage. Yeah. And it's, it's like, damn, that I was you right. Say cautionary tales, because I think a lot of, I think a lot of Elvis Costello, this album to me has this kind of feeling of like nursery rhymes in that, it's saying really deep things with this beautiful veil of nostalgic instrumentals that like you don't even know what you're listening to like you can you can which is hilarious because like his lyrics are so great but like you but they're they're worded in such a way that like you can you can sing along to them and not really be acknowledging what they're about because they just paint really beautiful abstract pictures as well i will also add that um the beat is in doug that's my father's name Doug's top five of 
All right. Okay. Model. All right. And Again. it is the first of the tracks we have discussed that is in the, his top five. Wow. Um, Would you say it makes your top five for the album? I hate making favorite lists because That's I always fun. second guess myself. But I would say that it is one that with my re-listens recently has really stood out to me. Awesome. Yeah. Because I feel music like- is like it, it, it affects you differently at different stages. And then there's some mm-hmm. songs that just take you right back. You know, I have to say, I feel like this is has really brought me around to the beat lyrically. I I feel like almost it's almost like you're I've always loved this song musically because I feel mm-hmm. like it really is. It's just such a great hook. Like it just get it's a it's an earworm. And again, I just so I mean, name me a band in 1977, 78 who could play as good as this. There's nobody, nobody. And I mean, like, you know, Steely Dan has their like perfect session players and all that stuff that comes in. I'm not, I'm not a big Steely Dan fan. I've yet to be. Oh, my Pat is. He's a huge Steely he's Dan. He's got a. He's got a. He's got to come come around on this. Maybe I'll. We have. Yeah. I'm I'm excited for that conversation. <laughs> okay. Cool. Or well, or you monologues know. as we like to call them because that is his best form of communication. Um, is a monologue. We have a, it's a man yeah, after my he, own heart. He, that he's best experienced in monologue and we have a rule in our house I actually almost brought it in with me because I knew I thought I might need it we have a so he's a he's a ranter I am also a ranter admittedly I come from a long line of ranters we have a ranting wig in our house stop the world so this started when we when we were first dating within the first year of us dating um we were watching turn Washington spies yes which is a whole other story and converse and by story I mean conversation because I know we will we will mm-hmm. run off with that mm-hmm. and so I and and this also often included us drinking bourbon and you know as you do when you watch hit. Washington Spy and so we I kind of as a joke I I ordered this and then it and so admittedly I was probably drinking when I ordered it as well so I actually forgot that it was coming which is a nice little surprise when it arrived and I was like oh I bought this I bought us a powdered well I bought him but it's for us a powdered wig and it is the ranting wig it's our wig our wig and within our house we have a rule that if your rant is to exceed five minutes you must wear the ranting wig while ranting oh my god I love that I think it's it's simultaneously an encourager but also a diffuser depending Mm -hmm. on the context Cause mm-hmm. you're like, I'm so fucking upset about this. Do I really want to continue this though? Cause I'm going to have to wear this goddamn wig. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. And I would also say that our rants are often just passionate and. <laughs> oh, sure. No, no, no. I don't right. mean to discourage as a fellow rancher. But, I don't mean to discourage him. Oh no, but it's good. It gives, it's a, it's a lovely little, like, it'll be like a, okay. So we're around in the corner on four minutes here. Do we need to go get the wig? Or can you wrap this up in the next minute? <laughs> oh, and man. it's a good diffuser for both of us because we have uh, stubborn, stubborn, stubborn. Oh yeah, stubborn <laughs> nature. Uh-huh. Stubborn is like is like when your toes are being stubborn and you stub them. Yes, yes, yes. So oh, no, <laughs> but yeah, no, I love it. I just love it. Just back to this year's model. <laughs> back to this year's model, indeed. So I feel like if the beat is about like, you know, you're going out, you're going out with your bros, you're hitting the town, you're like, I want to be your victim. Then it's like the next, the ideal thing is just like, 
you're there and you're taking it all in and it's it's pump it up time it's time for the the anti-anthem anthem pump it up song written in his words uh, during a bout of assisted insomnia. I believe he describes it as uh, blue pills, a bottle of gin, and a red pen. Created Pump It Up. It, it's something else. I mean, it's what, uh, I wish I could have insomnia like this. I feel like it's, if if the beat is heading out, pump it up is when you get home after not getting any. Oh man, I think you're right. Pump it up when you don't really need it. Pump it up until you can feel it. <laughs> oh man. Wow. I know. <laughs> See, I'm t- just glad you're here. Thank you. Hell Megan. or heaven sent. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Down in the pleasure center. Hell bent or heaven sent. Uh, there's nothing underhand that she wouldn't understand. She wouldn't understand. Wouldn't understand man. Wouldn't uh, understand. I love it. I love this. I love this fragile masculinity being being treated with a straight razor. Get a temperature. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean that's that's it's the, the one. Greatest right there. song about can I say jerking off you that was ever written. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, like I never thought of it that way. I always thought of it as just a song about. I, I always thought about it just like the idea of that. It's just like the lameness of this scene and the kind of like forced behavior of it. When you're like, I'm just not in the fucking mood. And you're like, yeah, but we're here. And like, we took these pills and we're drinking. It's like, gotta pump it up. Like, come on, man, where's your, and like every like shitty pep rally you ever had, you were required to go to as like a high school student. I think of it as just where you're just like, no man, this is fucking lame. And I'm like, why? I'm not pumped. Why is everyone else, you know, like, like very like Harvey Picar-ish, like, why is everybody else so stupid? Like, I can't stand this. But, you know, out in the fashion show, down in the bargain bin, you put your passion out under the pressure pin, fall into into submission, Mm -hmm. hit and run transmission, no use wishing now for any other sin, other than just like a climax, you can fall to bed, (laughs) you fall asleep too. I'm just gonna lay in my mess. In my mess. and pass out. Oh, geez. But I think that, again, like, that's not all it's about, but there's, it's so cheeky. Like, oh, that's yeah. his turn of phrase, right? And and I think we talk about this being, like, his most punk album. That's how he's punk. He's punk by being, like, all you stupid fuckers with your, like, fists in the air. Like, look yeah, at you like, pogoing morons. Like, yeah. Come on, like, use your brains. Yeah. <laughs> at the same time though it's also like he doubles the vocals 
on pump it up. He's like doubles or triples. It's like pump it up. Like it's, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you can't help, but like it does and have like, it does have it, jock right? jam vibes to well, it. Like It does. Musically. And that's the irony of it is like, the song is like, it doesn't matter. You're not going to get pumped up. But by the end of that song, I am very pumped up. Like, oh yeah. I mean, when the fucking, on, like when it heading ends, to the game playlist, like, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like, I mean, it, the way I always describe it is it's like it's like the getaway car is zooming out of sight like in the end of it. He broke two of his strings playing that at the end. And it's just like, it's just the, everything is just like, it's just going like the way Pete Thomas couldn't stop drumming on no action. It's like the whole band is like that, which is like, can't stop. Like, do, 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 do. you know, it's, it's so fucking intense. No matter how many times I've heard that song, I always, whether it's in concert or like I, it comes on, on my stereo. It's just like, Oh fuck. Yes. I love this song. It just doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. It does not. Age. I will never not turn this up when I hear it on the yes. radio. Yes. I don't care where Thank I you. am. I don't. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, you're going to experience this sooner than I will. So please let me know if I will eat these words later on. But I expect, even if I have a sleeping child in my car, it's going up. <laughs> oh, pumping up's going up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm it's sorry. good for them. It, it's good it. for them. I'll, I, yeah, no, I will. Uh, I can't wait to like holding yeah. my child and just be like, at like my baby and just whispering like out in the fashion show down in the <laughs> there's a whole other room realm of music that is going to open up to you I, exactly yeah but i mean i'm um, gonna try I to fill it up like as much as i can punk songs to my niece like oh yeah my like, um my best friend I... sent me a video like one of my best friends sent me a video of her um she was pregnant at our wedding with her second mm-hmm. child, but she like sent me a video of like doing like uh like just after like you know changing her daughter's diaper and she's like like laughing and goofing and is singing the lyrics to Paper Bag by Fiona Apple and it's just like while staring at the sky, just looking for a star, you know. And you're just like it lends itself very well, you know. And there's so many Costello songs that are like so that I'm like oh I'm gonna yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That all the time. Shout out to my friend Shauna, by the way, for singing "Paper Bag" to her, uh, to her daughters, <laughs> raising her right. The one thing I wanted to mention about "Pump It Up" was the the sort of I don't know if you heard about it coming back into the news recently with Olivia Rodrigo. So, uh, so Olivia Rodrigo put out a song called "Brutal." And got kind of just roasted on on Twitter for essentially ripping off Pump It. I'm so insecure, I think, that I'll die before I drink. And I'm so caught up in the news of who likes me and who hates you. And I'm so tired that I might quit my job, start a new life. And they'd all be so disappointed, because who am I if not exploited? And I'm so sick of 17. I'm over this teenage dream. If someone tells me one more time, enjoy your youth, I'm going to cry. And I don't stick up for myself. I'm anxious and nothing can help. And I wish I'd done this before. And I wish people it's brutal out here and so you know that that caused a bit of a stir on twitter 
in in Costello's words, he's just like, thank you, young man. I did not ask you to, to you know, to stand up for me and, and go after this song. And he did something which I thought was so brilliant, which I feel like illustrates what we talked about earlier with Costello being such like a fan and a lover of music. And I feel like every good artist gets you into, like you want to listen to what your favorite musicians listen to. When he talks about this song, first of all, it's like every song is every song is every song. Nothing, mm -hmm. nothing doing this is new. And when you read his memoir, he has a really funny thing where Bob Dylan comes up to him. Bob Dylan's like, how could they do that to you? How could they take your song like that? How could you, <laughs> how could Bono and those guys do that? I can't believe it. And it took him for a moment and realized that U2 has a song called, I think it's called like Put On Your Boots which is not as like direct chords, uh, like same chords as that, but definitely is like pump it up as the model for this song. Yeah. And he realizes, of course, that it pump it up sounds a lot like Bob Dylan's song, Subterranean Homesick Blues. John is in the basement, mixing up the medicine. I'm on the pavement, thinking about the government. The man in a trench coat, batch out, laid off. Says he's got a bad cough, wants to get it paid off. Look out, kid, it's something you did. Which again, and that song totally comes from Chuck Berry's Mm -hmm. Too much monkey business, where he's like, yeah. have good looking, trying to get me hooked, want me to marry, get a home, settle down, write a book. Too much monkey business. Too much monkey business. Too much monkey business. And, and it's just like there's this continuum of it. That's and that how it's rock like, and roll works. Absolutely, positively. Furthermore, he'll eat, he goes into pump it up and he goes, okay, pump the drums on pump it up is me asking Pete Thomas to please, please play drums like uh, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles going to a go-go. But of course it's like, then he went and he played it like three times faster and like with yeah. so much more gusto than, and I keep saying like, you don't need to do that, but Pete's going to do what Pete's going to do. And then he's like, and the, the baseline is basically the baseline to, to the other Elvis's burning love. And it, it's just like, okay, so there's, there's like three songs. There's three, four or five songs right there already being referenced, yeah. taking pieces from and like shoving them together. And it's funny because he's like, some people call that like stealing. He goes, I just call it pop music. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I just wanted to address that. Maybe I needed the wig. Maybe that one went a little too long. Close, but you, you sensed your time and you hit your mark. Thank you, Megan. <laughs> this is also the magic of editing. I can, I can never edit it down after that. No, I think that's a really good point. And that's, I see a lot of different like associations with it. There's, there's another song that, that that happened with too. I, and I can't remember what it is now. And mm -hmm. again, Elvis's answer was just like, that's how rock and roll music works. Like we borrow from each other. Like it, no Absolutely. one owns, no one owns the, the, the tones. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. no one owns the tones. That no was almost owns. Costellian. The tone you were, I think I you'll get there before this podcast is over. You'll have, I'll have my, my, my I had, I had turns. burned CDs and MP3s. You gotta, gotta bring in another way. Um, I would so. say that this one is also another Doug top five. His game, and he was like, Feel free to share this with Pat if you want, because I told him I was coming on this. But his, his idea for like album mashup, like the best way to compare albums is to 
take away like the best three songs three songs mm-hmm. and then see how those like see how four five like four five six seven and eight test up to each other and there's a conversation we had with this album and he's like even if you take the big hits off of it, you've still got a really solid album. Absolutely. Like, I mean, like, you know, arguably like Pump It Up, Radio Radio, like there are certain ones that are like Colossus on this album, but like they're not, Absolutely. those aren't, those aren't my favorite. Yeah. You know, my, you know which one my favorite is. I, I think so. We will, we'll get to it. But it's interesting it. too, because I've, I've heard on Jeremy Dillon's really awesome podcast, my favorite album, he had somebody come on and they talked about arguably like the, I would say it's arguably the most challenging Elvis Costello album, at least for me, mm. which is Mighty Like a Rose, which came mm. out in, I think, 1990. The album is very dense. And he's, his argument is that it's like, it's the best sequenced Costello album, that it's like, if a song got taken off of it, it would mm. not hold together as well while with this year's model, if you didn't have Pump It Up and you didn't have Radio Radio, it would still be like, it would still be a good album. And so it's it's interesting that you brought that up. That's a really, that's a really cool point. So we're, we're, we're heading on to Little Triggers. Little Triggers, little which is... Triggers. Little Triggers, the triple with your tongue. I, I, this one is, this one for me is, is another, like that. this is top three on the album for me. And it's, it's one of those ones. Yeah. It's, it's, it's eerie. It's one of those ones too, where you're like after the beat and pump it up, like you need to breathe. And what you get is you get that like tasteful Steve naive piano intro, which is so like, Lassy and lovely. And again, it's like, who the hell in 1977 was like playing like that, like on a rock album? Like maybe, maybe there's like some disco and like soul stuff that's maybe like has playing that elegant on it. But I hear that and I'm like, oh yeah, this guy went to like the Royal College of Music. This guy is, this guy knows how to like, oh, you need an intro to the song? Perfect. I got you right here. He is classically trained. Like he knows what he's doing. God. You know, uh, you know why he's called Steve Naive, right? Yeah, we're doing a lot of like shaking our hands, yeah, fingers um, together. But yeah, Indeed. Steve Naive, because what's his his real last name is Nance? Nance? I think it's it's like Nason or Mason, Nason. something like that. Yeah. Nason, yeah. But no, he didn't he ask someone what a groupie was? Yeah, he was, they were talking about something. He just goes like, what's a groupie? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's like 19, what, 19? He's 19 years old, yeah. They, they knew he, also he was- like, finish a bottle of sherry and pass yep, out on yep. the couch they knew they knew it was him they knew he was the one a because he was talented but b because he wanted to stay to watch the other competition drank a bottle of cooking sherry like and passed out inside his ca- like keyboard case and they were like he's the man for us pack him up we're leaving but i mean like he again it's 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 like a thing i feel like for a rock band is like how good you are is really i feel like is much about like how you how slow can you play can you bring it down and can mm-hmm. you make it you know can you carry that that part where it's like you know like that's 
that is is just as important as pump it up. Like, can you hold it down that way? Because you're going to see his song, Costello's songwriting, get more and more ambitious as the years go on until you get to something like like Imperial Bedroom, like Kid Mm. About It, which is like one of like the slowest songs in his catalog. Most bands can't play that because it's like it's too like it's too you feel like like the drummer will get bored, but it's like nails it gets it you also i feel like this is another one where it's got enough of like a groove that you can really you hear every word in this song you don't need to to consult your lyric sheet and just like again like you know you know whether this person is right or wrong for you you know the little triggers that they can they can do where you're just like oh god damn it like as a really good friend of mine said recently it's like you know Good sex isn't the only thing about like making a good relationship, but it can certainly cover up for a lot of problems. <laughs> and you're just kind of like, when I heard this, I, I heard this shout out to who said that, you know who you are. You're just like, yeah, this is what Little Triggers is about. It's about that kind of thing that like those people who just, they can do that thing. Those, those things, the way they look, the way, the way they move, the, any one of those things that just is like... On your whoops, little triggers in your grip, little triggers, my hand on your hip. All about you know. You're a puddle on the floor. Yeah, yeah, thinking all about those censored sequences. sequences. it's just uh better put this all in present tenses yes i think it's also about contemplating having an affair absolutely (laughs) we're reading that right like 100 again cautionary tales yeah i think that overall but i feel it in this album especially it's about being aware of cautionary tales but like being we already said this but watching that happen to yourself like it, it's those is those moments where you think that that won't happen to you like yeah. you think you know better mm-hmm. and then you grow and there's something really I mean that's that's your early 20s right yeah like there's no if you're one lucky it's your early 20s if you're yeah, not lucky fair. it's your 20s your 30s your who knows what who knows how long that like there's an indignant of like a like a 19 to 22 year old maybe 23 like you you know just enough to feel really righteous about things because you have I would say that extends to 25 if I'm being completely honest maybe again boys mature slower than girls but I would say that. I, I would say that personally, my period definitely extend, extended <laughs> into my 20s. <laughs> Same. Deeply into my 20s. You're just deeper in at that point. You're like, no, no, I'm past this point. I'm past this mm-hmm. point. So there's even mm-hmm. more layers of the denial, right? But it's just like, again, it's that freshness. of. I should feeling. say we're two people who got out of it and are now in very, very happy, yeah. healthy, wonderful relationships. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, yeah, we just want to say that as a just a precursor. Shout out to uh, shout our out to both partners. our significant others. They are absolutely amazing and we love them dearly. Thank just you. talking about the music. 
It's about yeah. the music. And the experience, because it's always about experience with Elvis. I would Absolutely. say, too, another thing I want to mention about this song is, I think we're talking about how it's listened to originally on an album. It was the second to last track on the first side, which... That's right, yeah. Again, as a as a pacing, there's a, there's mm-hmm. a pulling you in that's, you know... Giving you a yeah, again, sit you with feel you, like you're inside. Your feelings. <laughs> yeah, you feel like you're inside. You're inside that tom tom drum again. Yeah. Like, just, but I feel like that's where I really start to like feel like you know you talk you think about all the different pieces of the attractions and and all everything that they bring to them mm-hmm. and like he brings the lyrics and he brings the guitar and the song but it's like he really brings the voice to that. This mm-hmm. at the same time though the vocal on this song. In, in particular is incredible and yeah. it really is about like kind of really choosing those syllables and but I think I think you're you're absolutely on the money with what the song is about that thing where I remember and and I say this and I, I've talked about this with my spouse at great length so I feel like I might cut this I might not but suffice it to say, I remember about three weeks after we started dating, I was bartending at the time. And there was a very, there was a very beautiful person at the bar who was, uh, you know, not even like hardcore flirting, but was just like being friendly and, you know, just mm-hmm. joking back and forth, things like that. And at the end of the night, they literally said something to the effect of like, I'm going next door. You better be there and you better be coming home with me. And it was just like, and it, and again, oh. in that moment where you're just like, no, like I'm above this. I've listened to 500 songs about how this is the worst thing you could ever do to a person and everything like that. And there, there it was. I didn't, I went upstairs and had like a drink with, you know, with my coworker and, and then went home, <laughs> but you're just sort of like, and I think also this kind of plays into the, you know, again, who are like the kind of people who listen to El- the kind of I'll, I'll cover. I'll say this much. The 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 men who I know, the the young men who listen to Elvis Costello, they're not the ones who always have people fawning over them. So <laughs> when you think you think you're above it because you listen, you listen to this guy tell you about how empty and how jaded it is and how like this stuff, this is pure surface and it's not going to mean anything and everything like that. And then and then it happens. And then you're like, how strong is your will? You know, with those little triggers that they pull with their tongue, Yeah. you know, it, it's how, how strong is your will? Is it really there? It's in easy. the moment. It's, it's not about your knowledge. It's about your will. Exactly. It's, it's easy to be, it's easy to live like a monk when you live in a monastery. It's yeah, exactly. Not, so I, I just think it's a, it's a song that just gets deeper the more you listen to it and yeah and it's it, it's so I, I think it's so rooted in desire and being yeah. desired and and being a slower song I think that really holds that essence it has the feel of it has the feel of burlesque to me actually I have on more than one occasion recommended this song as a as a burlesque act my my <laughs> partner is a I wouldn't say former burlesque performer I don't think we've hung up our pasties forever, but, but, uh, but is not currently a burlesque performer, but yeah, yeah, I have, I have suggested this one as a, as a potential burlesque act, perhaps somebody, somebody will, I, I wonder if, you know, an Elvis Costello burlesque show, that might be, that might be a good one. I would produce that. I I would produce that. We would produce that. We would produce that. Uh, We would, if we ever did. I might, 
that's something I might have to make my debut for. I mean, like, oh my god, I don't know. Okay, you I've got it. Little triggers it, is your I'm, first. It's your first burlesque. First. There you go. It's official. It's official. This I is what we call my an exclusive name. listeners. <laughs> All right. Um, heading to the last track on the last first track side. on side one. You belong to me. I first got this album. This was my favorite song by far when I was 16 or 17. Because this was just like, it rocks. It It's like going for it. I, I still love this song. It's not my favorite, but it there's something about, it gets me in touch with, with like 17-year-old Pat. I love this song. It, it's got great energy. And I think it's an interesting, it's like I'm looking as we're talking about these and we're talking through the tracks and I'm looking at them. It's a really interesting follow-up to little triggers like you belong to me i went for it (laughs) it's the next morning it's like this is like the walk of i don't want to say the ride yeah this is the walk of you're skipping down the street this is like the you know the do you know the song sunday morning by the velvet underground yeah it's like the opposite of that it's the opposite of of that it's the inverse of that it's like you know you're skipping down the street and everybody's walking to church and it's Sunday morning and you're like, yeah. And yeah, it feels great. Whatever else may come, I feel it, this feels great. And it's kind of like, there's almost a kind of, I wouldn't say like finger wagging, but you said it's a song about, you know, Little Triggers is about desire. It's not about experience. This is about experience. This <laughs> is like, I got, I got some. And it's like, know which i don't i mean i don't know if that's like morning after or or planned parenthood illusion or not something like that we're like wow that one's hard to yep i mean to quote one of my favorite my favorite movies that's a hard r um Yeah, it's and again under under his thumb, of course, makes me think of under my thumb, the Stone song. And this to me, the Stones are kind of all over yeah. this record, but it's on this song in particular. And it's not like the bluesy stones. He really loved like the like let's spend the night together, like the yeah. kind of pop star stones Mm -hmm. and this song is actually and again you know like we talked about with pump it up this song the riff is the last time by the rolling stones played backwards he's just like yeah i just took that and i just played it backwards and and now i have this song it also has um if you know the stone song 19th nervous breakdown Mm -hmm. you know it's got the bass on the end of that yeah yeah i also love this because this is very I was a big Who fan at the time when I really loved this song. And Bruce Thomas has given serious John Entwistle bass vibes. You know, the oh my. don't want to be a goody goody. I don't want just anybody. I don't want anybody saying you belong, you belong to, me. to me. Again, so he ties. And I think he does this time and time again with his lyrics where he leads you to believe it means one thing. And then he's like, or does it? It feels like a tango. Like it feels like a dance. 
and and there's all these little touches of like things that are very self-referential where it feels like he's in a line he's referencing back to another song that he's that's in the album I'm not seeing it specifically in here but there's a couple other songs where like it feels like he's referencing back to this this year's girl and it's tied together this whole first side is like we're going on this cautionary tale journey with him yeah. There's like the remorse at the beginning because this is this is when he's starting to see fame and acclaim and things are starting to build up and he's touring and like he's what is this? is this like a, a couple year a year and a half a couple years after he like stopped working his data entry job. Yeah, I mean, my aim is true. He was still working his day job when he recorded my aim is true. So yeah, yeah this is like the night. Yeah, less than a year. Like everything that's going on in his life. So it's like, we're really going through that with him. Like, no action feels like remorse, a little bit of self-awareness into this year's girl where he's making these observations about the uh, about the industry and probably his beginning experiences of being more desirable. Sure. Also thinking like, I'm above it. It's not going to happen to me. Yeah, like exactly. But like that's it's being so self-aware, but also like not seeing what's right behind you. <laughs> exactly. As we often are. Like looming over your shoulder into the beat and pump it up, which are these, I, I just feel like these, the montages of him touring, that's just what's being played in oh, yeah. those, you know? Yeah. In the walk the line movie about Costello that is yet to be yeah. made. Yeah. Another I'll thing see that we will be producing. Um, there you go. <laughs> and then into that slow little triggers, which is like, it's like the slow down moment in the nightclub and it's busy, but it's just them and their eyes meet. Us. It's just across candlelight. And then, you know, right before the intermission, we're like, yeah, how could this possibly go wrong? It's all going to work out for me. Yeah. There's also like the very, like, there's just the very beginning in the last verse of this song of where he's going to go with night rally and radio radio into armed forces. And it really is the idea, like the the weird kind of, mixing you know the the politics of the bedroom and the politics of 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 government and in, in the same way the uh things you see are getting hard to swallow you easily led but you're much too scared to follow then once you're gonna get torn no uniform is gonna keep you warm god damn that's so good <laughs> i mean that's yeah that's that's almost got like I don't know like Handmaid's Tale vibes to it kind of it's 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 very uh. the the most interesting thing that kind of inspired me to start doing this too is how relevant the more paranoid songs in Costello how relevant those songs was, are becoming in the last like 10 words years right out of my mouth re-listening to this album like we get into living in paradise and I'm like you have those moments where you're like this is still very relevant and then the sadness of that sinks in <laughs> Yes, but you know, at least we can we can rock out and dance to this to this exactly. truth. Exactly. Absolutely love this song. It's it's definitely definitely a classic. And that was my discussion of side A of this year's model with Mr. Morrison. Hope you enjoyed our serious and silly discussion of this incredible album. And I hope you'll join us next time. For episode five of Beyond Believers, the definitive Elvis Costello podcast. And honestly, if you enjoyed the conversation, I hope you check the album out. Because honestly, you know, if nothing else from this, 
just check out the album. It's so fucking awesome. So as I said, I hope you join us next time. And this is Pat Brennan signing off here with uh, Alma Lou by my side and wishing you a great 2023. And I hope we meet again soon between your ears.